Welcome to Mysteries to Die For and this toe tag. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is normally a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of a mystery. Today is a bonus episode that we call a toe tag. It's the first chapter from a fresh release in the mystery crime or thriller genre. Today's featured release is Objects of Desire by Valerie Webster. Okay, we are going to start with the prologue and then go into chapter one. So prologue. I ain't here to clean the house, the person on the porch blocked the usually sunny open doorway. I'm sorry, the woman inside the house stood waiting for an answer. She was a tiny person, slim, and noticeably agitated by the unexpected break in her routine. I brought you something, the woman said. I have a meeting this morning. I'm afraid I have to get ready. Maybe later. The woman inside started to close the door, but a booted foot wedged in the frame to stop its progress. A broad hand with thick, stubby fingers rested against the door. Just take a minute. The woman inside hesitated, irritated, undecided. Promise, a minute. The boot in the door stayed in place. Um, okay, the woman ran a hand through her head, through her hair, but I really need to finish dressing for my meeting. No problem. The beefy palm touched the door, but did not push. The woman inside opened her house. The figure stepped in, overshadowing the homeowner by almost a foot. Nice house. I always wondered what it was like in here. You have something for me? asked the woman. I do. The visitor took time, surveying the foyer and living room as the two stood by the still open door. Can we hurry this up? I I need to leave. A trickle of sweat beaded at her temple. She glanced toward the kitchen where her cell phone lay on the counter. Okay, so let's get you ready to go. The figure snagged the woman's arm and clutched it so that the woman's sleeve crushed with the pressure. Hey, let go. The woman pulled against the grip, but she was no match. Stop. She dug her nails into the grasping arm. Let's go upstairs. The woman was half dragged, half lifted toward the stairwell. What's the matter with you? I'm gonna call the police. The woman threw all her weight away from her trapped arm, trying to loosen it. Stop, she cried. She began to flail with every ounce of her strength. The intruder shook her head. Now you don't wanna do that. We need to get you packed and ready. The woman now grabbed the banister as the intruder strong-armed her up the stairs. She could not hold against the brute strength of her attacker, who easily drew her upward. Got a suitcase? The attacker maintained the commanding grip and held fast while going through the woman's chest of drawers, her closet and bathroom, throwing clothes and toiletries into the small rollerboard that had been in the bedroom closet. All the while, the impinged victim wrestled, clawed, and dug her teeth into the arm that tightened around her. The woman screamed again, but the free, meaty hand covered her mouth. The attacker drew out a roll of duct tape and secured the woman to a vanity chair. She then took a pillowcase and made a gag. Get you all set up here, said the attacker. You'll need stuff. Now I know this is a little bit of a surprise for you, but don't worry. I'll take care of you. The woman in the vanity chair bowed her head as tears streamed down her face. Okay, so I got everything, I think. The attacker shot and snapped the suitcase. 
Now I'm going to take the pillowcase off, pillowcase off your mouth. But you can't scream. You going to be good? The woman nodded, and her intruder unknotted the pillowcase. I, um, I think we should leave a note, the woman said. I don't think so. The intruder had removed the gag, but made no move to release the woman from the vanity chair. The woman's eyes roved quickly back and forth as she scoured her brain for an escape plan. Well, people will wonder where I am, and we don't want them to know, do we? That's my girl, said the attacker. Good idea. Chapter 1 You never know when you've had your last chance. Rita ran her thumb over the worn inscription on her father's Vietnam Zippo, scarred, scratched, and savaged by time and war. Her father had told her often that this lighter had ignited flamethrower tanks and Zippo raids, served as a shaving mirror, and roasted popcorn, and its fluid pinged on leeches to make them drop off. Robert Lloyd's Mars was not about bravado. Okay, let's try that one again. Robert Lloyd Mars was not about bravado. Before her mind could examine that thought about her father, a man strolled into his, her office. He had on an ancient Joe Banks navy blazer over a white polo and a wrinkled gray slacks. It was the high shine on duty Oxfords that snared Rita's attention. Cop. Even at a slice below six feet, the man stood almost a foot over the diminutive former investigative reporter. Rita had the body type of a long-distance runner, slight as a whippet. She wore a gold anchor at the, centered at the V of her unbuttoned Henley, and had a face that resisted the wear and tear of long nights in smoky rooms and early mornings coursing miles on the running trails. Rita's assistant, Beverly Hills, was out of the office for a late lunch. Rita stepped from behind her desk and came into the waiting area. Can I help you, she said. Ms. Mars, the cop said and flashed his shield. Detective Billy Bolton, Baltimore City Police. Rita nodded. Is there something wrong, Detective? She, he strolled into her personal space. He thinks I killed her, popped into Rita's head. Ms. Mars, I'd like to talk to you about Diane Winner. Diane was Rita's ex. Rita was betrayed with one casual fling after another, followed by angry words, tears and promises for change from Diane. Still after bitter separation, Rita kept her pain close and alive. She'd thrown off all her armor to trust in the sheer intensity of her feelings. It would take time for a scar to soothe the wound. Diane Winter, what's happened? Rita tensed for a blow. That's what we're trying to find out, Bolton said. His long, spidery fingers pulled an electronic tablet out of the black shoulder bag. Woman named Palomina filed a missing person on her two days ago. Hasn't shown up for work. Packed a bag, though, and left a note to somebody named Eddie. When was the last time you saw her? Me, Rita said. I haven't seen her since I unexpectedly ran into her around last Christmas at a grocery store. Eddie, she thought. What the hell? Weren't you once partners? The nickname Eddie was derived from a Martin Short character. Ed Grimley, years ago on Saturday Night Live. Diane used to call Rita by that name as a joke. How do you explain that to a cop? Partners, Rita repeated. Yes, yes we were, but we haven't been together for almost two years now. Do you happen to have the note with you or a copy? 
might jog my memory. Let me see. Bolton poked the screen of his tablet and read, Eddie, ha ha, you win for boating me most likely. Going away for a while, pay Misty for me. Diane. Bolton looked up. Any thoughts? Hmm. I'm sorry, Rita said, but I don't think I can help you. Cold. Numbing, paralyzing cold. Grip Rita. Pay Misty for me? For God's sakes. Diane, what are you trying to tell me? You know, I think we're going to read ahead and go into chapter two here. Rita watched her mother steady herself on her sister's arm as she got out of the car. Like a sparrow in a headwind, she powered herself up the steps to Rita's front door. Sarah Mars, Mary named Townsend, guided her mother patiently. Sarah epitomized genetic whim with all her father's good looks and none of his dark disposition. Yo, mama, Rita called. What's up? My baby girl, Anna Mars lifted both arms to her older child. Rita stepped forward into the embrace. I'm not a baby, she thought. I'm not a girl, popped into Rita's head. She stopped long ago, giving voice to that futile objection. Come on in, Rita said instead. Got your coffee already made. Her sister guided her mother to the kitchen table, where a plate of Oreos graced center table. Rita scooped up an empty mug and filled it from the coffee maker. She nudged the refrigerator door and grabbed the half and half. Annie was already diving into the cookies as she sat. Long ride, Annie said, brushing crumbs with a napkin. Thank you, honey. Yes, it was a long ride. Sarah sat beside her mother and poured half and half until the coffee was a creamy shade of caramel. But I had lots of help. You know I hate those big trucks. Annie shoveled in two heaping spoonfuls of sugar. Scare me to death. I had to say something. I have permanent bruises on my arm attesting to that fact, Sarah said. You'll live, said Annie. Rita watched her mother settle into the anticipated buzz of sucrose nirvana. How did other daughters view their mother? In her head, her mother was Annie, not Mom. She was not to be obeyed, but to be helped, watched over. Certainly there were flares of heated disagreement, but never the kind of full-body armor conflict she waged against her father. So where are you and Robert going? Rita asked her sister. Outer Banks. I'm going to sit in the sun by the water all day and hear nothing but waves and seagulls. Sarah went over to the coffee pot and helped herself. How's she doing? Rita nodded toward her mother as she sat at the table. Shockingly good. Involuntarily, Sarah glanced at the woman focused on the last bite of Oreo. I cannot believe her labs are so good. I mean, even with the meds she's taking, her diet of sugar, coffee, and cigarettes would have killed a normal person years ago. She shook her head. She forgets a lot. She seems with it and then says something off the wall. She gets confused easily. Keep an eye on her. Honey, you know I'm sitting right here. Annie spoke on cue. And there's not a darn thing wrong with me. Mom, you lie, said Rita. Do not, her mother said. I recall the, my blood pressure is fine, report, after which we ended up calling 911 for the heart attack, Rita said. I also remember the last visit we let you see the doctor alone, and... So, honey, where do you want me to smoke here? Annie picked up her purse and stood. Resting my case. Mom, I have a spot out on the back porch for you. 
Rita jumped up to shepherd her mother. Great view, nice chair, and an ashtray. With Annie ensconced on the porch, Rita returned to the kitchen table. I wanted to tell you, the police visited me the other day. Diane Winter has gone missing. Sarah knew her sister and Diane had parted in furious quarrels over Diane's cheating. Surely they don't think it was you, Sarah frowned. I don't think I'm on the suspect list, but they're going to check every possible association. Rita sipped the cold coffee she had left on the table. She was a strange woman, Sarah said. Damage, Rita countered. Hmm. I recognize that, hmm, Rita said. I won't pry. Very well. They lapsed into silence. Sarah broke it first. You're a lot more forgiving than I am. Not really, Sarah said. You and Mom would be the first to forgive. With Diane, while I might understand the cause, I sure as hell did not get over the effect. I still have the rage that you and Mom would have been done with. Two years after the breakup, the phantom pain of the severed relationship lingered fresh and as sharp as broken glass. Your father's daughter, Sarah said. Entirely, Rita agreed. The porch slider rolled back and Annie Mars picked her way cautiously over the threshold. Gotta find the ladies. Mom, it hasn't moved since you were here a month ago. Annie opened the door off the kitchen. It was the basement. Sarah and Rita exchanged glances. Not down there, is it? Annie said. I'm turned around in here. Rita took her arm and steered her toward the powder room. As she came back to the table, Sarah spoke. That's what I mean about Mom. One minute here, next off the map. I get it. I'll keep an eye, Rita said, as the shadow of worry crossed her face. She's failing, Re. I'll be there, I promise, Rita said. A silence of acknowledgement passed between the sisters. At last, Sarah spoke. I'm still surprised you survived him. Dad? Rita asked. Sarah nodded. He was a Category 5. Mom and I battened down the hatches and waited out the storm. You? You ran headfirst against the wind. Well, Rita said, never mistake that for bravery. Fear is an amazing driver. I was afraid of being consumed. Hey, called a tiny voice from the hallway. Where did you hide the TP? Coming, Mom, Rita called back. Rita and Sarah spent the next half hour going over doctor appointments, meds, and meal plans for Annie. Annie spent the half hour eating cookies, smoking, and visiting Rita's powder room now that she had found it. Look, Sarah said as she was leaving, don't lose Mom in the video arcade the way you lost Madison. Madison was her daughter and three at the time. I'm sure Mom will not crawl under a pinball machine, Rita sniffed, and we found Madison. Arcade security found Madison, Sarah smiled. Love you, Ree. Don't change. She slipped her arms around her in a reassuring hug. We're going to have a great time, Annie said as she waved at Sarah's car, disappearing down the long, sloping drive. Oh, Mom, Rita gave her mother a one-arm squeeze. I know we're going to have a good time. Why are you whispering? asked Captain Mary Margaret Smooth. Mary Margaret was Rita's childhood best bud, who is now the head of Baltimore City's Vice Squad. I cannot make out a word you're saying. Sorry, Rita said, tossing a glance over her shoulder to see if her mother might have gotten up from her nap. I'm afraid my mom might hear me. Your mom's there? That is very sweet, Mary Margaret said. We should all go out for dinner. 
or I know she still likes to go to church. You want me to take her? You profess to be a heathen, and I still like going to Mass. We could all go to brunch after. I'm sure Bev would come, too. Well, thank you, Miss Social Director. We'll get to that later, Rita hissed. I need your help. I'm not going to like this, right? Mary Margaret sighed. You shouldn't, Rita said. I had a cop visit yesterday, and he questioned me about Diane's disappearance. You a suspect? Mary Margaret responded. Very funny, Rita said. The detective read me a note Diane left, and I swear, Smooth, that note was meant for me. Rita glanced again over her shoulder. Can you check what's going on? The cop's name was Billy Bolton, young guy. Charming Billy, Mary Margaret said with a sneer. The guy is constantly in the crosshairs of the headhunters in internal affairs. When he was a beat cop, he used to hassle the homeless, take their things, dump their booze. He'd rouse prostitutes and give them a choice of jail or a blowjob. He's a regular blue falcon. I don't know that expression, said Rita. No matter the situation, Mary Margaret said, Billy will portray himself as the smartest, doing things the way they should be done. He'll throw anybody but his partner under the bus. That's how he got the tag, Charming Billy. Lovely, Rita said. I'm warning you, Rita. This guy is capable of anything, Mary Margaret said. Me too, Rita replied. I'm not fooling around, Smooth stated in her stern, mother superior voice. Smooth had been a novitiate, but was bounced for her particular friendships. And I promise not to either, Rita reassured her. Rita heard the sound of toilet flushing. Gotta go, Smooth. I'll call when I can. All right, so you got a little bonus there. That was chapters one and two plus the prologue. So let's go into my review. So Objects of Desire is a PI mystery. Two years ago, PI Rita Mars broke up with Diane Winter. It was loud and messy way to end their relationship. Now Diane is missing, and the note left behind points in Rita's direction. Juggling a case of corporate embezzlement, Diane's disappearance, and a mother with early dementia means Rita has a lot of juggling to do to keep the balls in the air and her butt out of jail. The bottom line is Objects of Desire is for you if you like mysteries without murder, female-centric plots, and clean storytelling. I guess it should be female-centric cast, huh? Guess I should update that. So what are the strengths of this story? This is the second in the Rita Mars thriller series. Objects of Desire is listed as a LGBTQ plus mystery and a woman's detective fiction on Amazon. So I do agree with the genres of mystery and detective fiction, detective fiction, not fiction, uh, much more so than thriller. Rita, as you heard, runs her own PI agency and she juggles the two cases, keeping both stories moving forward. And while there were implied threats to Rita from the police investigation, this is more of a subplot, which in my opinion, elevated the mystery to front and center, making it a mystery rather than a thriller. The characters of Rita, her assistant Beverly Hills, her best friend Mary Margaret Smooth, who you just met, and IT wizard Roswell, they're very comfortable in their roles, and I think this reflects that it being the second book in the series. Now, Rita 
is a PI who relies on her team to extend her own reach and resources. As compared to other PI characters, she runs the team and she uses their strengths. So this isn't really a story like some others where it's, it's sort of like one woman against the world. It's, she very much uses a team approach. Um, the characters are both likable and interesting and Rita's mother, you briefly met, um, plays a role of comic relief with her sugar and Oreo obsession. Yes, I agree with uh, Rita's sister that her <laughs> it seems like her mother has some, uh, some sugar issues there. I have not read the first Rita Mars story, but had no problem reading Objects of Desire. Webster did a very nice job of giving new readers the information that we need to jump into Rita's world. Webster's storytelling style is clean, without cursing sex or onstage violence. There is the implication and threat of violence, but not the actual depiction of it, which makes this a great choice for readers who prefer maybe a little bit more classic mystery style, so think of like Jane Marple or Nero Wolfe and others. On the spectrum of cozy mystery to hard-boiled PI, this is closer on the cozy end. It doesn't have a lot of the maybe more cutesy elements that you might think of with a cozy. It's, I guess in that sense, it's more of a straight mystery, um, but because it's clean and because it doesn't have a lot of the real hardcore elements, it's, you know, I don't know what you would want to put it at, 25% away from a cozy. I've gotten way off script here, sorry about that. Uh, the financial mystery uh, it was very well developed. While Rita developed the theories about what was going on, the technical nature of the crime meant that Roswell did more of the legwork than Rita did. And it worked to keep the story progressing so that Rita could work on Diane's case. The kidnapping mystery was a, a straighter story. The biggest challenge here was there was nothing for Rita or the cops to start from. So Rita really had to go to, back to the roots of P.I. gumshoeing and work through Diane's friends and acquaintances and other exes to get a clue that finally led somewhere. This mystery is categorized as a LGBTQ+, with the majority of the main characters being gay. Rita Mars in Objects of Desire, though, stands as a solid mystery because of the plot, not because of the characters' enduring attraction to the same sex. While being gay is central to Rita's identity, much like being from Belgium is central to Poirot, it has no bearing on her capability as a PI. If you're a reader looking for a lead from the LGBTQ community, read Rita Mars. If you're a reader looking for a clean mystery with an intelligent PI, read Rita Mars. So where did the story fall short of ideal? Well, considering that Objects of Desire is a mystery, there's a lot to like. As I already mentioned above, when it came to the characters, when it came to the general storylines, um, really, this is, is solid. I did have a few minor items. I did think that the urgency of finding Diane was somewhat undermined by both the financial case and Rita's mother. You know, in, in essence, while Rita's, you know, under this, we have to find Diane, you know, she's gone missing, who knows what's going on. She then has to, you know, go to some corporate meetings or, or take care of her mother. And I know we all do juggle those types of things, so there's a, a real world aspect to that. But as far as storytelling goes, having her jump from one to the other did at times slow down the pacing of the storytelling. Now the evidence of the financial case involved very consistently and smoothly, oh, I'm sorry everybody, 
uh, it did evolve very consistently and smoothly. Where Diane's case seemed to turn on a single comment during an interview that Rita really latched onto. And, you know, when you read enough stories, you're like, oh, I know where this is going. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but just that it was, um, it was very much a, a pivot point in the story. So where the financial sort of very methodically and smoothly evolved, and you didn't necessarily know where it was going, it felt like with Diane's case, you got to a certain point and it turned. The smoothness of the way Webster created the financial one made the abruptness of the Diane case just that much more noticeable. My last, I guess, critique or criticism was that I, I struggled a little bit with Rita's actions at the end of the story, and specifically with it being specific to the way she really investigated um, Diane's investigation. Diane's investigation, Diane's missing persons case throughout it. Um, overall, you know, these didn't affect the logic of the storyline or the appeal of characters. It's just as I really take this book as I do every other book and line it up against a, you know, theoretical ideal. These were places where, you know, either the storytelling, um, I, I kind of fell out of it a little bit and I had to go back in, or I would think about it after and go, huh, but over there, she did this. So overall, very good storytelling, um, very well-developed mystery. Definitely the things I found are, are very minor and nitpicky. So The Objects of Desire is published by Valerie Webster with Ignited Ink Writing, and it's promoted by Partners in Crime Tours. I have the Amazon link in the show notes. So about Valerie Webster. Valerie has spent a career developing law enforcement applications for surveillance, security, and forensics. That's really cool. Uh, she has also been a triathlete and a crime reporter. She honed her writing skills through Sisters in Crime and Mystery Writers of America mentoring program. Valerie makes her home near Boulder, Colorado. Oh, Partners in Crime, who is promoting Objects of Desire, represents a network of 300-plus bloggers offering tailor-made virtual book tours and marketing options for crime, mystery, and thriller writers from around the world. Founded in 2011, PICT offers virtual book tour services for well-established and best-selling authors, as well as those just starting out with their careers. PICT prides itself on its tailored packages for authors with a personal touch from the tour coordinators. They really do an awesome job working very hard to find uh, good matches between storytellers and story readers. For more information, check out their website, partnersincrimetours.com. A uh, link is in the show notes. So thank you very much for listening. And join us next week for a new episode in Season 7, Games People Play. Episode 3 is Cards Against Jake by Jim Winner, where Cards Against Humanity is our featured game. And with that, I'll turn to Jack and say, take us out. <laughs>